welcome to Everybody's National Parks. On this episode, Brian talks with Matt Olin, Education Specialist in the Division of Resources, Education, and Youth Programs of the National Park Service at Yellowstone National Park. Brian and Matt talk about school programs and tips and recommendations for families planning a trip to Yellowstone. So I'm here with Matt Olin, a uh, ranger with Yellowstone National Park, and today we're going to talk about not only overall uh, Yellowstone National Park, but we're going to talk a little bit about education, uh, kids in the park, and some of the programs that are available for uh, for whole families when they're visiting Yellowstone. So uh, Matt, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for taking the time out. So let's just start a little bit about... Uh, who you are, um, how long have you been with the National Park Service, and how long have you been at Yellowstone, and uh, what brought you to Yellowstone? Yeah, well, um, I started with uh, the National Park Service in two, or excuse me, 2007, and that was at Devil's Tower National Monument in Wyoming, and I was a summer seasonal ranger there working in their visitor center and giving tours to families, general public, whoever wanted to attend, and um, I really enjoyed that work, and so I actually volunteered uh, that following winter, the winter of 2007 to 2008, at Mount Rushmore National Memorial, which is uh, close to where I grew up. I grew up in South Dakota, and after that summer, excuse me, that winter volunteering at Mount Rushmore, I then got a summer seasonal job here in Yellowstone, and Yellowstone was always uh, the park I wanted to work at the most. I had kind of a sentimental attachment to it, having had lots of family vacations uh, with my family growing up. It was about a uh, seven or eight hour drive from western South Dakota where I grew up so we could take a you know a four day weekend here or there once or twice a year and and come over and look for wildlife and fish and look at the geysers and so it was always uh, one of my favorite weekends of the year was coming over here with the family so um, because of that, that sentimental attachment and just because of the uh, amazing variety here in the park, I always wanted to to work at Yellowstone, so I was lucky enough to get that summer seasonal job in 2008, working at the Albright Visitor Center at Mammoth Hot Springs, and I gradually transitioned into working in the park's youth programs office, um, which we deliver mainly curriculum-based uh, residential education, but some day-use education as well to um, teachers who bring their classes into the park. But I also still do a, a good amount with uh, youth that come in the park with their families or with the families as a whole. So I, I feel pretty fortunate to have a job that, uh, that allows me to, to speak with youth most of the time, but also to involve the, the whole family and the general public. Oh, that's great. So you grew up in uh, West River, South Dakota, Rapid City? I did, yep. Rapid City, South Dakota, to be exact. That's great. We, we don't have to go into it on this podcast, but uh, I, I know more about South Dakota than any guy from Long Island has any right to. So uh, it's funny that you're from, uh, <laughs> you're from South Dakota, but we can talk offline about that. But so, you know, again, convenient, kind of find your park theme is, uh, in, you know, obviously you have the Badlands right there, but not that far from Yellowstone. Yeah. So. yeah, there's there's some great offerings in, in the way of national parks and monuments in, in western South Dakota. Yeah. Well, we've joked about it on this podcast is uh, to to be national park fans and junkies. We live in probably the uh, worst area of the country to experience that. We're on the east end of Long Island, so we're about as far away from any national park uh, one oh. can be <laughs> being way out here, but, uh, that, that means we have no bias. That's, that's what we say. So, uh, gotcha. and, yeah, so, uh, we, we can see everything with fresh eyes and it's all, it's, they're all a long journey. Uh, so I want to get into some of that curriculum based education, uh, that you, that you help run. 
and then some of the day use. So just starting with the former, what, what is the curriculum based educational programs that you run and, and, uh, and, uh, who are they for? Yeah, the, the most, uh, long running program we have, which is, um, my primary program that I work with during the school year is called Expedition Yellowstone. And we just had our 30th anniversary. Um, so we've been pretty proud of that. And it's designed for fourth to eighth graders. Um, and our, our curriculum is, uh, is li- was originally aligned to Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho state standards. And we're in the process of kind of aligning it uh, officially to uh, Common Core and so on. Um, uh, but teachers find that it fits very well with their, their common core from a variety of states. We have probably 75 or 80 percent of our groups come from Montana, Wyoming, or Idaho, but we also get some some groups, one from New York City that comes every year that I can think of, some from Washington, we've had from Texas. So they come from far-flung areas, and, and the curriculum fits very well with, uh, with all the fourth to eighth grade groups we work with. And that program is either four or five days, so it's, it's a long program. We uh, cover geology, ecology, and the human history of Yellowstone. Um, groups stay in the park um, at one of two facilities that we have, depending on what time of year that they come to visit. They bring all their own food, so the kids kind of learn to be independent and responsible, um, learn to work as a group, to you know whether they're cooking pancakes uh, for breakfast or mm-hmm. washing dishes from the pancakes that, that after everybody ate. Um, and uh, we have usually about one chaperone to every five or six kids. They kind of work in a clan, we call it, with their adult. And, of course, they learn the the curriculum stuff as well. And we hike around uh, during most of the day, and we have some classroom time um, in the evenings and a little bit in the morning as well. So it's a a really great program, um, really in-depth, and we found that um, both the adult chaperones, the teachers, and uh, the, the students come away with a pretty major impact um, from having spent that time uh, here in the park and hiking around and being exposed to things that, that they may not have been exposed to before. Right. So that's that's interesting. And I am, let me say up front, I am no educational, I'm not an educator, nor am I an educational policy expert, but I, we are aware through our kids' school that uh, uh, experiential learning is um, clearly something that has a lot of momentum behind it. So I can't imagine anything more experiential than take that is you pick a for example ironically our kid uh, our oldest last uh, uh her last semester here uh in second grade studied volcanoes right and so you learn a little bit of science you learn a little bit of history behind volcanoes right you get to mount vesuvius yep. uh you kind of learn a little bit of math as well etc cetera, etc cetera. so i assume that's kind of the same uh, philosophy you have except uh you know, you have the experiential locus of Yellowstone uh, National Park and the whole greater Yellowstone ecosystem as your classroom. I, is that, am I kind of getting close to kind of the theory behind everything? Yeah, exactly. Um, we, we have a, a curriculum that we um, get to the teachers and there are uh, pre-activities to be done in the classroom and post-activities that if the, if the teacher chooses to use, they fit with the activities that, that we'll do, I guess, the, the more experiential piece um, in the park. Um, but of course, the, the stuff in the park um, can stand alone as well. Um, but you're exactly right. You kind of have this background learning, um, preferably before, uh, we call it their expedition, um, before their expedition, and they kind of learn the classroom components of it and then come out into the field. And, uh, you know, we do activities and um, data gathering and things like that. 
and it tends to, to really drive home those things that, um, that can be learned in the classroom, but may be more clear to some types of learners mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the field or things that you just really can't cover in the classroom that we can um, kind of drive that point home in a relatively quick amount of time because the kids are out there um, hands-on um, in nature and seeing these things firsthand. That's uh, so, uh, that's interesting. Now, are is this curriculum also available to those who homeschool their kids as well? Can they plug into this as well, or it has to be from a a school district to be able to plug into um, this? You know, we we have a a few homeschool co-ops that um, bring their kids uh, or a, a portion of uh, the people that participate in their co-op to Expedition Yellowstone. Um, typically. For numbers wise, we have a uh, to make the facilities and the, the activities work. And for it's a, it's a cost recovery program. We don't mm-hmm. get um, base funding through tax money. It's uh, forty five dollars per person per night, um, and that uh, covers our cost. So we have a usually about a minimum of fifteen people um, to come to that program. Um, but we definitely have homeschool groups that come. Um, teachers, whether they're homeschool teachers or um, more traditional classroom teachers, uh, they can all get the, the curriculum, whether they, they think they're going to come or not. Um, it's available through the, the park's nonprofit partner, fundraising partner called Yellowstone Forever. And Yellowstone Forever, um, you know, have, of course, has a website and a, a contact phone number. And uh, the teachers call up and purchase that curriculum and if they so choose to to become, as we call it, a, an expedition teacher, uh, they send in a little postcard that that then we enter into our database, their their contact information, and so on. And they can then sign up for an expedition, um, first come, first serve during the winter. Or we have a lottery um, mm-hmm. for the the extremely popular slots in the spring and the fall. I can imagine that's got to be a very popular and a very uh, a high ticket item. So that's. Uh... Uh, and, and how many, maybe you mentioned this, how many students do you, uh, would you have over a given semester or a given school year? Yeah, uh, over the course of uh, say a, a school year, we'll have probably close to 60 different school groups. Um, some come on a Friday afternoon and leave on a Monday morning. Others arrive on a Monday and then leave on a Friday. So for most of the school year, we get uh, two groups. Um, a week, uh, which ends up being well over a thousand students um, mm-hmm. and their accompanying adults. So it's, it's a, we stay pretty busy during the, the school year, um, minus Christmas in, in January. But other than that, we're pretty much up and running um, two groups a week. Yeah. So I, I'd like to dig into a, a little bit of what that curriculum looks like. But first, I want to talk about some of the day use curriculum. So what is that uh, uh, aside from the obvious and who can access the day-use curriculum? Yeah, um, the day-use curriculum is mainly based on the requests um, of length of program and topic by teachers that uh, that email us. Say a group, it could be a classroom teacher, it could be a Boy Scout group or a church group or or, or anybody that wants to um, have some sort of a an educational program in the park that um, maybe it's in the spring and the fall when we don't have a lot of our public ranger programs going on, um, or perhaps they're looking for something a little bit different than that. Um, so they will email us and give us a, a few stipulations, and we pretty much design a program for, uh, I guess, that meets their needs. 
And they often, um, you know, we get sort of uh, themes that, that come out. Some, you know, teachers, depending on the, the curriculum for the, their grade, they may want, you know, something specifically about hydrothermal features and mm-hmm. maybe testing the pH or talking about the microbes that live in the, the hot water. Um, or you may have some that are interested in Native American history um, or uh, a program about uh, prey and predator relationships. Those are probably some of our, our three most popular topics. Um, so those, we, we kind of have a, a a base menu, I guess, that we, we can offer those topics to, and then we customize it to whether it's a group of second graders or a group of high school seniors. Right. And you, you'll take the same topic, but go you know, into the necessary depths that, uh, that they may want to go into and, and adjust our, our techniques and so on to suit their, their age and previous knowledge. Now, can a family access this? And, and not that you want to lay homework on your kids when you're on vacation, but, uh, you know, we, we have young kids and they love the junior ranger program. Uh, and mm-hmm, yep. they love learning about the park that they're in. So it's not just an abstract and it's a great way for them to kind of sort out um, some of the different parks they've been in and, and, and why it's meaningful in, in many ways. Can can a family access this and, and get a curriculum and that's part and parcel of their vacation? Or would you recommend that? Um, it, it depends a bit on um, time of the year that you come, um, our funding, and which would then uh, dictate our staffing levels and probably the numbers that you were bringing. Um, in the summer, the vast majority of our staff is dedicated to providing uh, public, like pre-advertised programs. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've probably attended in many national parks, yeah. uh, you know, getting the junior ranger badge and and so on. Um, so things that like are advertised in the park newspaper that are happening daily um, at a certain time at a certain place. So summertime, that's the majority of our, of our offerings. Um, in the spring and the fall is when we tend to focus on. Uh, more of our curriculum-based education, mainly because that's kind of the heavy field trip season mm-hmm. um, when class is in session and so on. Um, so a lot of our time is, is spent coordinating with teachers. That's kind of our our thrust. Um, so we, we do occasionally get some, some family groups, but it... Um, Typically, we uh, get enough demand for with classes of higher numbers that we right. tend to focus on on that. But I would say if you were, you know, kind of putting together a uh, like a family trip, say for like a homeschool group or something like that, and you were coming mainly in that that spring, fall, or winter time for that matter, um, then that would be a, a conversation we could definitely have via email. We would likely be able to um, provide a, a program, especially when you're you're kind of looking at that right. kind of curriculum-based, uh, kind of more more formal education program than perhaps the uh, in the typical ranger program that you might do in the summer is. So generally speaking, uh, if you're a family of four, even if you're mm-hmm. coming during shoulder season, uh, don't look to don't look to this as a as a supplement to whatever ranger programs or if you're age appropriate the junior the the you know the junior ranger program or just bumping into a ranger and asking him or her questions, right? That's, that's kind of a fair assumption. This is truly for, I, I generally speaking, for school. Fair groups. assumption. Um, I think that with our, you know, typical staffing levels, we are kind of tasked with, with mainly coordinating with, with teachers. Um, it would, if we had more staff, we'd probably be able to do a little bit more with the, with the individual family in those shoulder seasons. Um, but at, at the current level, it's, um, right. we're, yeah, I kind of focused on, um, 
when we get that that homeschool or classroom group that that comes with their with that specific kind of curriculum in mind. Right. So let's get into because I think. Uh... Uh, whether there's a school group out there listening or not, I think what the curriculum is offering uh, would be a great way to for even a family to prep on maybe some of the things that they should look into before they go out to have a more rich experience. So you mentioned this a bit at the top. Do you want to mention again the general topics of uh, of the curriculums that you look into and uh, and then how you how you arrive at that and just some of the I guess just some of an overview of uh, what some of the study topics would be on a given day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll use the uh, kind of the, the Expedition Yellowstone schedule and curriculum as an example. Um, that's our most in-depth curriculum, and we can often um, like, take pieces and chunks of that and apply that to like day-use programs, for instance. Um, it's a really well-written and in-depth uh, curriculum. And so... Uh, for instance, starting with the, the geology day, um, which is typically the first day that we introduce, if, if, if a group is here for multiple days, we'll introduce them to that first. Um, and we'll do this with day-use programs as well, but one popular option that teachers choose is we'll take their uh, school group out into um, the hot spring areas, walk around on the boardwalks, and we will take um, some small water samples and test the pH of the water. And we have... Um, kind of a guide to identifying some of the microbes in the water as well, utilizing the data that you collected on the pH and the data that we collect with infrared thermometers on the temperature. And that can give you an indicator of what type of microbe is living in the water. And you can talk a little bit about the diversity of life and the different adaptations that mm. that microbes have versus animals that most people are more familiar with and perhaps Yellowstone might be more famous for, like grizzly bears and wolves and so on. Right. Um, we'll also bring in discussions of the volcano and how that influences the hot springs, um, the rock types that have been created um, because of the, the eruptions and because of the hydrothermal activity. And so we kind of meld all those together um, and talk about that on our, on our hikes uh, throughout the, the boardwalk systems. Um, the second day is typically a day about ecology of Yellowstone, and we try to bring in the point that geology is kind of the boss. You know, the geology created the soil types and the landforms and so on, and, and as an outgrowth of that, you have different ecosystems throughout the park which support different life forms and so on. And, and we'll talk about everything from identifying skulls and different types of teeth, um, what types of eaters you may have, carnivore, herbivore, omnivore, um, adaptations, habitat. Um, then we'll get more specific into, say, the predator and prey relationships of elk and wolves, um, some of the adaptations of trees, um, maybe even use a dichotomous key to identify some of the evergreen trees here in Yellowstone. Right. And then just guys enjoy being out in the park and kind of uh, based on what nature provides any given day, you know, if a fox runs across your path, maybe we'll stop and talk a little bit about you know, how a fox survives the winter or something like that. So kind of take, take, uh, take advantage of those teachable moments, as they say. And then uh, if a group is here for a third full day, which is our Monday through Friday schedule, um, we'll have a whole day dedicated to the human history of Yellowstone. And we'll start all the way back um, 11,000 years or so is um, some of the, the oldest evidence we can find for human occupation of the areas. Um, in and around Yellowstone. So we'll talk about Native American history, 
um, coming up through uh, fur trappers and mountain men into the creation of Yellowstone, the early management, some of the management when the army was here, and then all the way up into sort of modern um, science-based wildlife management and you know trying to shut down the dumps where the bears were eating and right. you know get bear-proof garbage cans and and the controversy around um, some of the, the the issues with bison and wolves and things like that. So it, the, the day of history kind of runs the whole gamut from 11,000 years ago up to the present. Right. So how would you, I guess I'd like to ask you a few questions about um, if you're a family and you're preparing for a trip, just a vacation uh, to yeah. Yellowstone, and, and forget the season for a second, just any vacation. How would you uh, how would you recommend they prepare at least in terms of some of the educational aspects so so everyone can have a, a good basis of understanding? Uh, again, it's vacation; you're there to hang out, fish, and and relax. But to have again a bit of context, what would you recommend they look into, learn about, just at least have a working grasp of before uh, before you step into the park? Yeah, um, as if if you're starting right from the ground up. Um the park service wide, um, sort of the, our web portals, the web pages have been redesigned. I think are, are much more helpful and inclusive, uh, than they, they used to be. So from perhaps the parents point of view, um, planning it, there's lots of documents, yeah. um, on the, on the website of both Yellowstone and all the other national parks and um, national park sites. So that's a, a great, a great planning resource. There's also contact information there that, um, email, you can actually email, a, a ranger and, um, and we'll kind of farm out the, the questions to the appropriate um, expert or knowledgeable ranger in that area. So that, that's probably the best place to start. Um, and there are some some really excellent um, like books written, like I'd say guidebooks um, from like you know young kids, early elementary school, all the way up to your super in-depth guidebooks for for adults. And I've uh, found that. Um, you know, so sometimes the when the, the kids kind of have a say in planning or they kind of have their own guidebook that's written appropriately to their level, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they get excited to, to see, you know, something that was mentioned in their guidebook that, you know, they want to go find an example of a bug bison scat on the ground or whatever it might be. And they, they kind of get that, that pre-excitement going um, while maybe mom and dad are planning more of the details. Um, and that uh, I'm speaking from my experience in Yellowstone, there, there's a, lots of good literature um, out there, a lot of it available through Yellowstone Forever, that um, park's nonprofit fundraising partner. Um, so, uh, so those types of uh, things, uh, kind of learning from some of those, um, those types of uh, you know, third-party uh, books and so on might be a, a more appropriate for most families than perhaps the curriculum materials that I was talking right. about. Um, for a homeschool family, the curriculum stuff would probably be more appropriate. But um, but anyway, um, there's a variety of junior ranger activities online as well. Um, some are park-specific. Some are more park service-wide um, that can get the kids excited for that also. Um, and then I think, uh, at least speaking for Yellowstone, um, kind of, uh, I'd say, managing uh, managing the the parents' expectations so mom and dad don't get stressed out and hurried on the trip, which I think definitely trickles down to the, the kids, at least in my family it did, and in my experience here in the park. Uh, I think a lot a lot of people get here and are very surprised about um, how big Yellowstone is, how long it might take to drive 20 miles, yeah. and, 
in if you haven't really managed those expectations, you know, as, as any vacation can, it can kind of become become hectic, and nobody wants to be spending their vacation um, feeling uh, hectic or, or hurried or stressed out. Right. Um, so I think sometimes those uh, those few minutes spent uh, clicking on the email link on the on the, the park website, or maybe reading some uh, some websites from other organizations that uh, have information can really help kind of, you know, give you an idea of, of planning out your day um, so you're not uh, not getting the whole family uh, hot and tired too early in the day. Um, and so I think that with, uh, with visiting Yellowstone in the summer is probably the, the best thing you can do for yourself is just kind of, you know, we like to say pack your patience and kind of sit back and enjoy the experience. If you're stuck in a Buffalo jam for an hour, and you kind of have to take it as it is. There's not much you'll be able to do about it. And That's kind of part of it. Enjoy right? the, the unique experience that it might be. And then um, to be Yellowstone specific, uh, it, it is a big place. And I think the the uh, the more people try and cram into one day, the more different places in the park, um, sort of the the harder it gets to be. Um, so if if at all possible, if you have a, a, a few days to spend here. I would say go, go to a, a small portion of the park and try and experience that for a full day and then maybe pick a second part for a second day and a third for a third day. And that way you're you're spending less time in the, the car and less time on the, the roads that can be busy with other traffic and busy with wildlife. And if you do have just that, that one day you're traveling from point A to point B and happen to be going through the park, um, it's definitely tempting to try and see it all. Um, but if you if you could at all justify focusing on one or two places, I think you will have um, a more enjoyable experience. Wow, you just you just hit all the greatest hits of uh, either <laughs> advice we give in in theming and in, in themes that we've already hit, or uh, mistakes we've made ourselves. So you've kind of hit all of it. It's been great. So I even think that what you said at the top, which is um, I think is very important is if you can have buy-in from your kids and help let them help to a certain extent plan the trip, uh, then they have buy-in, they have something there they're excited for. And that's, that's a really great thing to get, to get excited and prepared. And of course you pull on that thread and if they're excited about the, you know, they want to see the prismatic spring. So then you can pull on the thread and say, well, you know, there's a reason why it's blue and uh, let's, let's, let's learn together. Then when you get there, there it is in, in context. And, you know, I, I guess I wanted to marry this with another question where you talk about pack your patience. And, you know, summertime, that grand loop can get pretty packed, and you, you get a lot of visitors at Yellowstone. It is, it is a cornerstone national park. Uh, yep. But one thing, I guess we say two things. If, if you're there during high season, uh, to the extent you can, if you can get up and out early, generally you can avoid uh, some crowds, if you can. Uh, obviously it's vacation. So if you want to take it easy, that's fine too. And the other thing is, and and tell me what your thoughts about this, especially a park as large as Yellowstone is, uh, if you get off the usual, the main track. So in in your guy's case, the grand loop road, if, if you can get off that a bit and find a, uh, and find a trail, uh, it's amazing in how, how close those trails are to the you know the main thoroughfares and how quickly you can get away from people in our experience is that the same at Yellowstone yeah you're absolutely right um that if you can can have a family or convince the family for at least a day or two to be early risers um especially in the summer you know people want to know where the wildlife is and i found that it's more often a when than a where um the wildlife 
is there, but that they're probably resting and hiding during the heat of the day. And if you can stand to be out uh, for an early morning or a late evening, um, that definitely is going to up your ante to see the wildlife and you're going to avoid some of the crowds. So you're, you're exactly right on that. And whether you go back to the hotel to take a nap in the afternoon or go back to the tent or whether you just find a nice picnic ground next to a stream and kind of cool off your feet for a few hours in the heat of the day, that can that can uh, can really pay dividends. Um, and then your point of hiking is, uh, is exactly right. A, a very tiny percentage, um, single digits, low single digits of Yellowstone visitors get further off the road than a boardwalk. So uh, there's literally roughly a thousand miles of trails in Yellowstone. So you can find something to fit pretty much any level of hiking from, you know, people with tiny kids or zero hiking experience to um, folks that want to go out on a multi-night uh, backpacking uh, trip. Uh, you really can uh, find a lot. And I, something I found um, that seems to work well with, uh, with, with children, especially if you're kind of introducing them to hiking. Um, it worked good for me uh, when I was learning to hike. I wasn't something I was very excited about to begin with, but having a destination um, at, the, uh, at some point during the hike was always helpful. I, I found it to be helpful for a lot of families as yeah. well. I, at least I didn't have the buy-in as a child just to go for a hike. It just seemed like just walking. Like, we always walk. What's so big deal about walking out in the, the woods? But I always ended up loving it at the end, and I think um, it was because there was so much other stuff going on, and that perhaps my mom and dad didn't sell it quite as well as they could have since I was never excited when they said they were going to go hiking. But um, there's some really good uh, uh, hikes um, in Yellowstone where you maybe go to a, a backcountry thermal feature or you get to a – uh, an interesting waterfall or you have some especially good view or something like that. And if you have kind of a, a reward uh, or something interesting to see on the hike, it, it sells a little bit more than just saying we're going for a hike, which doesn't always go over as well as it, as it might. Right. So the point is you don't necessarily have to go way out in the back country outside of, you know, Lamar. You could uh, be in the relative front country and depending on skill level, age group, Pretty quickly, whether it's by the way, whether it's a hike or maybe some other activity, biking, kayaking, something, fishing, yep. you can get away from the crowds pretty easily. And if that's so, now we got we have to ask you. So, what would be some of your recommendations? What are some of your favorites that are uh, maybe not on the uh, obvious list? Taking nothing away from taking nothing away from Old Faithful or anything like that. What are some of the, uh, mm -hmm. or where you are in Mammoth Springs, but what are, what are some of the um, less obvious places that are not necessarily backcountry that you would recommend? Yeah, the, um, there's, there's some great things outside of those, those major developed areas if you're willing to go for a, a short walk or, or just put in a little, little extra um, effort. Um, I would say some of my, my top favorites, um, if I kind of keep it maybe to the, you know, maybe five or, or six miles or less, mm -hmm. all the way down to a mile or two. Um, if you're in the northeast part of the park, you mentioned uh, Lamar Valley. It's a, kind of famous as the, the American Serengeti. So an, an early morning out in Lamar Valley um, looking for wolves or bears or whatever it might be you're wanting to see. Um, I think is followed up um, in a great way by a short walk up to Trout Lake, which is on the northeast entrance road. They're kind of between Tower Junction and the northeast entrance. You drive through Lamar Valley to get to it. It's a, a short um, but kind of steep walk, so it gets the heart beating a little bit. But 
Um, you get to this uh, lake at the base of, of a mountain, um, beautiful views. If you're during uh, June and early July, you can see cutthroat trout swimming up the inlet stream to spawn. There's often otters there, um, beautiful wildflowers, and it's, it's you know, for far enough off the road that you're not, uh, you're not hearing or seeing the cars, and um, that's a great one um, that I really enjoy getting to uh, at least once a year. Yeah. Uh, more down by Mammoth Hot Springs. Um, a fun one if you're willing to um, do a, a little bit of a, an uphill, but it's, it's very gradual. It's about a little over two miles to the top of Bunsen Peak. And uh, I think the reward at the top is much greater than what you typically get for walking two miles up. Uh, Bunsen Peak is a is formed uh, during the Absorca volcanics of about 55 million years ago um, in Yellowstone, so prior to the supervolcano. And it's a, it's a mountain that it's not connected by a ridgeline to any other mountains. It just kind of sits there by itself. So you get these amazing 360-degree views that I think are more typical of a hike that might be four or five miles to the top, but that one is, is two. And I was up there last week and saw a family of five, and they just had it completely dialed in the... Uh, the mom carried all the food. The, the two young boys, which were around 10 and 8, carried the water for the family. And dad carried the, uh, the three-year-old daughter on his back. And they wow. were all happy to, be, happy to be up there. So, so that was cool to see. Um, so that's a good one. Um, another nice mountaintop, which is it's quite popular. I would say this is not one that's off the radar, but um, it's definitely still worth it. And it's high elevation. Um, so you get a little huffing and puffing from the thin air, but it's not necessarily overly strenuous. It's fairly mellow of an incline, um, but Mount Washburn is an amazing mm. view um, as well, and you've probably run across that in some of your research online. Um, if you want something a little bit uh, more on the flat side, there's there's quite a few nice strolls, um, you know, a couple miles or less um, along the shore, near the shore of Lake Yellowstone. Um, Storm Point Trail being one of my favorites. It's fairly flat. It goes through forest, but then ends up on the lake shore. Um, and you kind of walk along the lakeshore for a while and return. And there's a few down there as well. Um, Elephant Back Trail near Lake Yellowstone that you walk away from the lake, but you kind of climb up a, um, a hill or a small small mountain, and you get some nice panoramic views of the lake, um, which is a, an extremely um, beautiful area with kind of snow-capped mountains in the background. And then um, finally, if... Uh, backcountry hydrothermal features are, are what your family finds particularly interesting. There's a, a good walk to Lone Star Geyser, and this is one that can actually be biked as oh, wow. well. There's not a whole lot of biking in Yellowstone, but there are a, a few places, and Lone Star Geyser is one that that you can bike to um, or walk to. It, the whole walk is along the Firehole River, so it's really fairly flat, and you, you can take a picnic with you, and Lone Star Geyser erupts about every three hours and we don't typically have a, a really up-to-date prediction because it's in the back country so we don't necessarily have someone monitoring it um, um, 24-7 but if you're there for you know the time of a picnic and maybe exploring the area a little bit you know you have a decent chance of seeing a uh, Lone Star geyser go off which is a, a neat experience to see those backcountry geysers without the, the thousands of people that are are there to watch Old Faithful with you for any given inter- uh, eruption during the summer. Wow, so Matt, this is this has been great, and I think we're we're kind of wrapping up here because uh, just to sum up, so we we've learned about um, some of the curriculum that are available for 
school groups, both uh, whether it's public school, private school, but also uh, homeschool groups, and how they can plug into Yellowstone, especially uh, obviously during the school year, during shoulder season for you all. Uh, some of the day use curricula that are also uh, that's also available, but then also just some great tips for uh, for families when when they're there, and uh, which is kind of take it easy, have a have a enjoy your vacation, and and again get off the beaten track if you can, or be a be an early riser if you want to see uh, if you want to see some of the the all star features. Or I guess the other thing is, and Daniel and I felt like we got away with something is uh, we went to Yellowstone in winter, which I guess is one can do as well. Where uh, we were there, there weren't many people uh, in the middle of winter, and uh, we got to you know just walk right up to Old Faithful and and just yeah. have a, a small group around us, and it was cold, but uh, so we paid the price, but. Uh, that's that's another way to that's another way to do it too, I guess. Is uh, just be mindful of the calendar as well. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game in the winter. It's it's definitely a, a neat spot, but there are some perhaps larger challenges to to traveling in the winter and so on. Yeah. And one other thing I might quickly add that uh, could be pertinent for some of your listeners is we do have a a very active distance learning program, oh. um, mainly via Skype, but we use some other software as well, and we do that. For, again, for classroom teachers or scout groups or even we've done like senior citizen centers and things like that where um, our group organizer you know, meets, uh, meets virtually with a ranger for 30 or 40 minutes and we give a variety of programs, an overview of Yellowstone or geology or ecology. And so, you, you know, just like a typical Skype call, you, you see the ranger live and, and they see you and you talk back and forth. And that's something that uh, that groups can definitely make make use of, and that doesn't necessarily even have to be a, a a classroom setting. That could be yeah some some other type of group as well. Yeah, the Boy Scouts. Well, wow. so that's great because if you're constrained by geography, going back to you know being here on uh, on Long Island, and you can't necessarily load up the school bus or or load up the caravan with a Boy Scout troop and and head out easily. Uh, this is a yeah. this is a substitute, right? Not, nothing beats being there, but this is a substitute where you can explore it a little bit and and learn a bit and maybe plan a trip later on. But uh, that's something that's available too. So I think some of this stuff, uh, you know, we'd like to get some of the details on this, and we can post this on our website where we can find all this if that's okay with you, uh, including the the uh, the info for the day use curriculum as well. And uh, but that's a very good uh, that's a very good way to also interact with the park and plug in, especially if you can't necessarily get there that easily but still want to learn a bit or at least uh your group or your your school group or or you know your scouting group wants to learn about it that's a that's a pretty neat tip yeah i think all those all those things uh we uh, we'd love to to see you virtually or see see you in the park so it's it's a fun place to be no matter what time of year you come well, with that, Matt, we really appreciate your time. This was, uh, again, Matt Olin with uh, Yellowstone National Park. Again, thank you for your time and looking forward to seeing you uh, out in the front country or the back country sometime soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoy your travels. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. The Yellowstone homepage is a great place to start planning a trip. From that page, you can get to topics related to all aspects of the park, including trip planning. To highlight what Matt Olin discussed, you may find contact links for the curriculum programs and distance learning offered from the Learn About the Park tab and choose Education from the drop-down menu. You may find show notes for this episode on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. 
If you enjoyed listening, please tell your friends and write a review on iTunes. You may also send us your comments and like us on Twitter and Facebook. We'd also love to hear from you from the parks that you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks on Instagram from the parks that you are visiting. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.